Well, good morning. It's good to see you here on this Lord's Day. It's good to be uh, with God's people, uh, that we might make much of Him, that we might look at His Word together this morning. And as we do, I want to encourage you to turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 20 this morning. Um, I'll go ahead and read verse 21 as well, but 8 through 21 of Luke chapter 2. I do want to remind you, this coming Christmas Eve, was that Tuesday? Thank you. All right. We will have our Christmas Eve service at 6 p.m. And we hope that you're, if you're still in town, that you would join us for that time of singing of carols and scripture reading. It's going to be a good night together, a, a candlelight kind of service towards the end. Uh, and if you're here in town, we invite you to come, bring your fr- friends and family who may be in town as well, and join us uh, for that special time of worship this Christmas Eve. We will be meeting in the upper commons of the high school wing. They're going to be starting tomorrow, refinishing this gym floor over the holiday break for the school. And so we won't be able to meet in here, but we'll be up there. So if you want closer parking, you can park in the gravel parking lot adjacent to that high school wing, kind of that back wing of the school. You can still enter this entrance as well, but just know you'll be making your way that direction for Christmas Eve service. Uh, we look forward to that time together. If you're not going to be here, if maybe you're traveling, we do pray and encourage you, uh, pray for you and encourage you to have a great time, a great Christmas uh, with friends and family. All right, well, this morning we're going to be looking at Luke 2. I want to begin reading in verse 8. This is the word of the Lord. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they had saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this good news. We thank you for this reminder of your favor and of your kindness by sending us a savior. Lord, these may be familiar words to us this Christmas season, this passage in Luke's gospel, something that many of us have heard many times. Father, whether it's something we've heard many times or perhaps this morning for the first time, it's my prayer that by your Holy Spirit now that you would illuminate our understanding and that you would speak to us and that you would change us because of what you have done by sending your son. We pray this in his name, amen. There's a book that was written, I believe back in the 1980s, a book entitled Amusing Ourselves to Death, written by Neil Postman. And among that, he's writing about all of the different uh, 
realities of that day, and a lot of what he said was quite prophetic uh, in entertainment and those kinds of things, but he said something related to news. He said this, he said, most of our daily news is an ert consisting of information that gives us something to talk about, but cannot lead to any meaningful action. Now think about that for a moment. When something big happens today, everyone knows about it in a matter of seconds, if not a few minutes. News today travels almost instantly. And yet, I would say, and maybe this is just an opinion, but I would say, it'd be my opinion, that most of the news we hear today is indeed meaningless, meaning that it has little impact for the everyday consumer. Think about the news you consumed just this week. Just the news you consumed this week, how much of that news actually changed what you did besides the weather forecast? Give you that one. How much of the news you heard this week actually changed something you were going to do this week or something in the near future? Even with all the news of impeachment, regardless of where you stand on that on one side or the other, did that actually change how you sought to live out your daily life this week? or in the coming year, with all the endless tweets, with all the constant news feeds, we find ourselves inundated with news that has little life-altering substance. But there was an event long ago that at least in that day of time, in that day and time, when that event actually happened, little had, little, uh, had been known about it. It was in an obscure little town called Bethlehem, as we looked at last week, in a guest room, maybe a stable, a baby laid in a manger, little known about it. There had been a lot of prophecy concerning this, we know, from the Old Testament, but at least in that day of time, you wouldn't have seen the, the news feeds going wild. But there was news being shared. And we see that in our text this morning. And this news that we consider from Luke's gospel was an event that not only had life-altering substance to it, it would have life-altering substance to it for generations to come. Not just for the shepherds of that day and time, not just for those who were in, in the immediate vicinity, but for all people everywhere of all ages and all times. This was a news event that would change literally the world. And so that is the event that we want to consider this morning. The birth of Jesus is good news because it's life altering news. And I want us to consider this passage with that in mind. And I wanna really approach this from three perspectives this morning. I want us to consider the recipients of this News. I want us then to consider the message of the news and then the impact of the news. First of all, the recipients. We see that in verses 8 and 9. Now, if you didn't have the New Testament and you were asked, who do you think was the first one to hear about Jesus' birth? Now, I know we have the New Testament and you've heard the story most likely, and we just read it just a few minutes ago, but if you didn't have this, and you were asked, who do you think would have been told first about Jesus' birth, what would you say? Who would you say? I mean, we came up with all kinds of answers, wouldn't we? 
Maybe it would be the religious leaders of the day or the, the local synagogue, or maybe it would be the political rulers of the day. Maybe it would be someone important. Well, here in our text we find that the first to hear the news was in fact shepherds. The same day Jesus was born, we're told that some shepherds were tending their flocks nearby. And while they were in the field, an angel of the Lord visits them and announces the news concerning Jesus' birth. And just imagine, had you been a shepherd in a field nearby, it was something that was common in that day of time, and they would be on the clock, around the clock, tending sheep, making sure that intruders and predators weren't going to come and attack or someone would come and steal the sheep. And so they would be tending the flocks, round the clock. I can just imagine, they probably had their AirPods in their ears with their little phone leaned up against a tree, scrolling Instagram for the day, right? Probably not the case. But if they were modern shepherds, that's what they would have probably been doing. Maybe yawning, maybe tired because it was dark. Maybe it was a long day. Who knows what the situation was, but we know that they were tending their flocks nearby. And the fact that this angel of the Lord appears specifically to them is not insignificant. What we see here is the Lord teaching us something very important. And for us, in order for us to appreciate this encounter, we need to understand exactly how shepherds were perceived and typically viewed in that day and time. Shepherds were often at the bottom of the social scale of power and privilege. They were mostly a poor, uneducated, and despised group of people. Perhaps, oftentimes, they were considered the social outcast of the day, a people that couldn't be trusted. And so here, we have in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 2, some of the most rejected, despised, outcast people of that day, and they are the first people that are told of this news of Jesus' birth. The birth of the greatest person in human history announced by the, one of the most majestic beings ever created and the first to hear about it are a group of rejected, despised outcasts tending some nearby sheep. I think this is instructive to us in a variety of different ways, but perhaps an important way is that these shepherds, I think, represent common everyday people. The fact that the angel visits them first is a testimony to the gospel being good news for everyone. I think what we'll find throughout Luke's gospel is he often highlights those of humble estate, those who are despised and rejected, those who are lowly and weak and poor. And how Jesus really speaks into their lives. James chapter two, verse five even says, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? It's a simple statement to say that no one is disbarred from God's kingdom based on social status or privilege. The gospel is good news from the lowest to the highest. And here we see the gospel being spoken to those of lowly status, the good news. I think it's a reminder too that just because one may be despised and lowly doesn't mean that he 
or she is out of the reach of God's grace. The fullness of grace is as much accessible to those who are poor and lowly and outcast as it is to anyone else. Great Anglican J.C. Ryle said this way, he said, let us beware of despising the poor because of their poverty. Their condition is one which the Son of God has sanctified and honored by taking it voluntarily upon himself. God is no respecter of people. He looks at the hearts of men and not at their incomes. Let us never be ashamed of the affliction of poverty if God thinks fit to lay it upon us. To be godless and covetousness, covetous is disgraceful, but it is no disgrace to be poor. They are the portion which the Lord Jesus himself willingly accepted on the day of his entrance into the world. And then he says, wealth ruins far more souls than does poverty. Listen, Jesus came into the world for all kinds of people. I think it would be important for us, even though we may classify people in different groups or categories, Jesus came for only one class of person, and that is sinner. He came for sinners. And whether you are wealthy or poor, that is good news. We know that it is the wealthy who often have more obstacles though because of their clinging to the things of this world to see their need for a savior than do the poor. But friends, this is yet another reminder that no one is out of the reach of God's grace. No one is out of the reach of grace. You should know that for yourself and you should know that for the sake of others. If you're here today and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, you're not following Jesus and, and you wonder how could God accept people into his kingdom, know this, that God's grace is given for all kinds of people. You don't have to fit some kind of litmus test for grace to be given to you. Jesus comes for sinners. He comes for the despised. He comes for the rejected, for the lowly. He comes for all. So we need to understand that the gospel of grace is good news because it comes for people two people just like you. And friends, as Christians, those who follow Jesus, it should be yet another reminder to us that the gospel is good news to be shared with all, that there is no hindrance. There is nothing that can ultimately keep grace from flowing to people. It's merely because of their status or privilege in the world. And so we must be faithful stewards of this good news to share it. So we see the recipients, but then we see number two, the message. Verses 10 through 12. When the angels, when the angel visited the shepherds, they had a, this angel had a very specific message. In verse 10 it says, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That was the message. The message to these despised shepherds. Several important parts about this message I think we should unpack. First of all, the nature of the message. The nature of the message. The angel says, I bring you good news of a great joy. Good news of a great joy. First of all, it was good news. This word good news is the same where we get our word gospel from. When you hear the word gospel, 
What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is the good news of Jesus, who he is and what he came to do. It is good news. The gospel is good news of a great joy. This is where great is where we get our word mega from. This is gospel of mega joy. See, the people had been living in darkness for so very long, long awaiting the Messiah. If you read the Old Testament accounts, all of these hundreds of years of anticipation, waiting and waiting and waiting for these promises to be fulfilled, living now under Roman oppression, the promises of God, they're in the shadows. And now the angels come announcing good news. These promises made are in fact promises kept. It was good news, but it was good news that would be of great joy. It would ignite joy. True joy is possible because of this event. True joy is possible because of what happened here in Bethlehem on this particular day. Friends, I know that there are many joyless people in the world today, and perhaps there are joyless people in this very room as I speak. But when you wonder, where can true joy be found? The angels give you that answer. The angel of the Lord comes and says, I bring you good news of a great joy. This is joyful news. This is news worth celebrating and rejoicing in. God is the giver of joy. And there is no greater source of joy than the good news concerning Jesus. So it is good news that ignites great joy. Notice the nature, but also the extent of this message. It is good news for a great joy. That's who, for who? That will be for all the people. This baby born in a small peasant village was good news, not simply for the shepherds, though it was. Not just for Israel, though it was, but for all the people. This news that would soon burst forth from Bethlehem was news that would literally impact the far reaches of the world. It was good news of a great joy that would be for all the people. Friends, I'm, one of the reasons I'm glad that we have such a focus of international missions during this Christmas season is because the birth of Jesus, which leads to his life and death and resurrection and so forth, is good news for all the people. It is good news for not just shepherds, not just Israelites, but for the nations. We're reminded right here in the text that the birth of Christ would have a global reach, a global impact. And that's why we as Christians today, right here in Maryland, in 2019, soon to be 2020, must also, to continue, must also continue to have this global vision and perspective of gospel advance. Friends, if the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, if the birth of this child is good news for all the people, then listen, we need to be doing everything we can so that the 7.6 billion people of the world hear about it. And i just ask you, how are you engaging to see this good news of a great joy go to all the people? What are you doing to engage in that great work?
this good news of a great joy. I recently watched an interview, a brief interview that our denominational president, J.D. Greer, conducted with the president of the International Mission Board. And in that interview, J.D. Greer said, there are three types of people. He said, there are those who send, there are those who go, and there are those who disobey. There's truth in that. Are we part of the sending and mobilization efforts, whether it's to go across the street or grow across the seas, to make this good news of a great joy known to all the people? Are we going ourselves if the Lord so calls us? Or are we willing merely to be content in our own happiness and keep this good news to ourselves? As the extent of this message is intended for, it's, it's ordained to go to all the people and we need to be doing everything that we can. Friends, this, this Christmas season, we take up this Lottie Moon Christmas offering and so far we've not done very well with it. And I would say that it's probably one of the most important offerings you could give ever. Why? Because it is part of mobilizing efforts to send men and women to the far reaches of the world to invest their lives for the spread of the gospel among unreached people groups who have yet to hear about Christ. We, we come in this warm room this morning and celebrate the good news of a great joy and there are people literally living in darkness who have no idea that Christmas carols are even a thing. They have no idea of this good news of a great joy because they live in darkness. They live in sin and no one has yet to tell them. Friends, the extent of this message is good news of a great joy for all the people. What are we doing to make that news known? But I want you to also notice the content of this message. The content of this message. Verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the content that the message was centered upon. This announcement here that the angel brings to shepherds is important for several reasons found here in this statement. For First of all, it's a personal message. Notice he says, the, the angel of the Lord says, for unto you, for unto you, this message would have universal implications, it would have global implications, but that didn't mean that the shepherds themselves shouldn't see this news as personal news. For unto you, shepherds, by extension, us, For unto you is born this day. For your sake is born this day. The angel makes clear that it was indeed for them. It was a personal message, and that is something we too ought to catch. This is news for the world, but it is news for you and for me. It's a personal message, but also it's an anticipated message. You see, it says, for unto you is born this day where? In the city of David. This is not just a random place that this Savior happened to be born. We know, we've talked about this in weeks past, how this was a prophesied, promised event that had been declared long ago. So we can believe the Bible is true for reasons like this. Because God makes his prophecies known and he fulfills everything that he says he will do. God's word can be trusted. Yet another subtle but clear reminder that Jesus' birth in Bethlehem was an event that God had ordained and now it was coming about. By pointing again to David, Luke roots Jesus as the object of the Old Testament prophecies. He's the fulfillment 
of what everyone had anticipated, coming in the lineage of David, being born in the city of David, just like the Old Testament said. This is not random. This is not just an event that happened to be. It had been foretold. It was anticipated. But also it's a saving message. It's a saving message. The one who was born, the angel said, is a savior who is Christ the Lord. Here is the only place in the New Testament that you will find these three titles used in one sentence. Savior, Christ, and Lord. Right here, all together. Jesus as Savior indicates a deliverer. He's he's coming to rescue, he's coming to save, to deliver his people as the Christ, the Messiah, he is the anointed one, the one that the Old Testament promised and said would come. And yet he is Lord. He is Emmanuel, God in the flesh, God with us. He is ruler over all. Friends, this is who this baby in a manger was. He was the Savior, the anointed one, the Lord over all. God in the flesh who came to deliver his people. Notice the text says he did not become Christ the Lord, that he is Christ the Lord. He's a savior who is Christ the Lord. This is who he is. He did not become this in time. This was indeed the savior of the world. This was one, this one who was born in a peasant town, this one who didn't enter into like a a royal palace, He didn't enter in royalty, but he was laid in a manger. He is the one who had been promised since Genesis 3. He is the one that would deliver the people and yet would be the one who ruled and reigned over all creation. He does this because we needed saving. We needed this. why, why, Why was this happening? Why did God send forth his son into the world? To be born like this and ultimately to die a cruel death on a cross. Three days later to be raised from the dead. He did this because we needed rescuing. There's the baby you'll find lying in a manger in a feeding trough. Is both God and Savior. He came to save sinners. It's exactly what the angel told Joseph when he's talking about you shall name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This is the heart of the good news of the gospel. God sends forth his son into the world because we needed rescuing and we could not own our own, in our own good works, in our own strength, rescue ourselves. There was nothing we could do to to present ourselves before a holy and just God to make ourselves acceptable to him in our own wisdom and strength and goodness. As good as you are and as good as you folks look, not enough. Because we're not really good. We are all are sinners. We're broken. We're marred and affected by sin. We, we kind of clean up well at times. But we we kind of cover that up sometimes, the ugliness of it all. Some of you do. Reality is, is that we are broken. We, we needed rescuing. Friends, there's no greater gift or joy in the world than the gift of Jesus as savior of sinners. I just ask you, do you share in the same joy that we see presented here in this passage? 
Are you sharing in the same joy as did the angels and the shepherds on that night? You know, some of you would say, absolutely. I come in here this morning, I'm rejoicing because of how good God is. I'm rejoicing, I'm singing these songs, I'm rejoicing, I'm delighting in the favor of God. I'm, de- I'm delighted to come and tre- celebrate and treasure all that God is, all that God has done by sending his son into the world to be our savior, to be our hope, to be our confidence, to be our peace. I rejoice in that, and some of you are delighted, some of you are treasuring that this morning, and I just encourage you to continue to find yourself rejoicing in this good news. But others of you may come today and you you say, yes, it's good news, and yeah, I'm kind of happy about it. I mean, it's worth talking about, I guess. You know, even, I think we could ask this of some Christians. Why is it, why is it that we sometimes have trouble sharing in the joy of the angels? Why is it that we sometimes find our joy stagnant? Certainly as a non-Christian, that would be the case. You, you, you may be a happy person, but you know that, that lasting joy is, is often eluded you because you, you seem to see happiness come and go. But even as a Christian, we often find ourselves wondering why it is we aren't more joyful. The story, I think, at times has become so familiar to us that it loses its weight and significance and impact in our lives. It's good, but it's not great. Like that's the perspective of so many. It's good to hear about this, but it's not amazing. It's not wonderful. It's not awesome. Let me try to illustrate it this way. Those of you, this is usually the time of year, I guess, that many of you would go get a flu vaccine, right? Uh, You don't, I mean, usually you hear about it on the news, but it's not something, and there's a debate on whether or not it actually works. I don't know, but uh, that's not my point. But, but oftentimes you, you don't hear this, this mad rush to the local doctor or to the local drugstore to get a flu vaccine. Some of you do that religiously and that's great and it's helped you not get the flu, fantastic. But, but you don't hear that, you, you don't have long lines of people waiting to get flu vaccines. So for some of us, the flu has become, though it is deadly for many, for some, and it has that potential threat. For, for most people, the flu is nothing more than a mere, insig- it's not insignificant, but it, it's kind of a frustration. It's like a bother. Oh, you hear of somebody that has, to, has the flu, and unless they're uh, elderly or, or very, very young, you're like, well, they'll get over it in a few days, and you just move on. You, you don't really stop in your tracks to think when somebody has the flu. And so the flu vaccine, well, I'm sure it's a good thing to get. Go ahead and get it if you can. But... For many, they just pass it on by and because they don't really view the flu as that much of a troubling thing. You catch it and you move on for most. But compare that to cancer. If somebody declared that they all of a sudden had a cure for all forms of cancer today, what do you think that the news would be? There would be mad celebrations. There would be lines of people lining up to get this cure, to get this vaccine. And I think for many of us, we are too prone to see Jesus more like a flu vaccine than we are a cure for cancer because 
we don't really see ourselves as in that much trouble to begin with. We see ourselves more just kind of troubled and bothered by the things of this world and not truly broken and overcome by the realities of sin. We, 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 see, we see ourselves as bothered but not truly in trouble. Friends, when we think about the reality of sin, we need to understand that it is more than just a bother. It is a death sentence. It is something that will keep us separated from God for eternity if something isn't done about it. And God says, I haven't just merely given a flu vaccine, I have given a cure for this terminal disease in sending my son. And yet we often think about it more like a flu vaccine. Oh, it's a good thing, you should get it. Instead of seeing it more as a life-saving gift of grace. Friends, this is a saving work that God has done by sending his son a savior who is Christ, the Lord. It is a saving message. It is something that, that we need to understand as life altering. Friends, when you see the desperation of your situation, when you understand who you truly are before a holy and righteous God, then and only then you'll understand why Jesus is good news of a great joy. If Jesus is not good news of a great joy, in your own soul and in your own life, it's because you've not realized the significance and the weight of your own sin before a holy and righteous God. And the Bible clearly says that we all are sinners. We all have fallen short of God and his glory. We all have turned our back against him and we have gone our own way, seeking our own, our own way. And because God is good, perfectly so, because he is holy, perfectly, he is righteous and just, he is right to separate us because of our sin from himself, but he has not only the right to do that, he has said, I have that right, but I'm also going to extend grace. I'm going to send my son into the world to be the sin bearer, the one that will cure your disease once and for all, friend. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is good news for people just like you. If you would simply look away from the things of this world, away from any false hope that this world would offer and understand here is the cure for your terminal disease. Put your hope in Christ. Put your hope in this one who came to bear the weight and burden of your guilt and presents you blameless before a holy and righteous God. He is your hope. Look to him and trust in him and you will be saved for all of eternity. You will be cured. This is the good news for sinners. But then there is the impact. You see that in the rest of the passage. Response to Jesus' birth is a response that we see both in heaven and on earth. First of all, you see a heavenly response there in verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There was an angelic response. These angels, think about this. These heavenly messengers, these angelic beings would have known the son of God before he came to earth in human flesh. They would have known the glory of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit living in perfect fellowship and perfect union for all of eternity together in all of their glory. The angels created, at some point in time, was created, but yet they would have known the fullness of this glory. And now they see God the Son humbled in human flesh. He took upon himself 
human flesh and he's now laid in a manger and the angels are rejoicing, not just the angel of the Lord, but the multitude of the heavenly host, praising God, saying glory to God in the highest for this. They knew the significance of this moment. Listen to this. They knew the significance of this moment and it wasn't for them. Angels were in no need of redemption. They weren't going to be the recipients of this grace. The scripture tells us elsewhere that they longed to look into the realities, the fullness of this thing, of this work. They weren't going to be the ones who Jesus died for on the cross and yet they're celebrating this good news because they knew what was about to take place. They knew that this child would be the one, the one through which God would extend his grace to the world to bring sinners from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language to himself. And they rejoiced. They worshiped God. Heaven had come to earth. The highest, most exalted one had humbled himself and become lowly. And the angels respond in worship. They worshiped. Glory to God in the highest. All of these events that were unfolding were unfolding for the honor and glory and praise of God. They were rejoicing. They were rejoicing specifically in God's gift of grace. Notice what verse 14 says. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. They were giving glory to God because of God's favor. Now some translations sound quite different, but this is, this is most likely exactly what's being said here. On earth peace among those with whom he is pleased or peace among those on whom God has set his favor. They're rejoicing in God's gift of grace. The peace they speak of is a saving peace. On earth peace, this, this reality of reconciliation between God and sinful humanity. This peace is a saving peace for a particular people. You see that there in the text. On earth peace among those with who? With whom he is pleased. With those who are found in Christ. You remember, you remember back in Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 1, at Jesus' baptism, I think it's verse 11 there in Mark's account. After Jesus was baptized, the Father speaks and says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is coming into this world, and as he does, he, he has the pleasure of God resting upon him. And now we find here in this text, before that account actually happened historically, we see that Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. With whom he is pleased. Now, you may hear that and you may think a couple of things. First of all, you may, may think, well, how can I be one of those with whom, is God, with whom God is pleased? How can I be one of those people? How can I have peace with God? How can I have this, this acceptance? And it may lead you to even think further, but how can God be pleased with me? I mean, he knows my story. He knows my thoughts. He knows my actions. He knows everything about me. He created me. He knows all about me. And he knows just, just how my life has gone. How could God be pleased with me? Friends, God can be pleased with you because he is pleased with his son. And he can be pleased with you because when you have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, God's son, who came to be your rescuer. You are clothed in his righteousness and cleansed by his blood. 
And because of him, because, because of his work, God can be pleased with you because his favor comes to you through the gift of his son. His life, death, and resurrection is the means by which we can be accepted with pleasure by the Father. You need to understand that. You need to understand that when Jesus comes and gives himself for people just like you, it's not as if God says, okay, let them in. They, they kind of get a pass. No, God now sets his delight upon you. He is pleased, well pleased with you because his favor rests upon you through the sending of his son and through the work of his son. He treasures you. He delights in you as one of his own children, co-heirs with Christ. Friends, you would just simply look to Jesus Christ. This is where we find this great peace. The angels rejoiced because they knew this would be a successful mission. This was not going to be one of those things like a gift wrapped up and thrown under the tree, hoping someone would just take it. It was a gift with names written on it. We wouldn't do Christmas that way. For those of you who do the gift exchange thing, right? You wouldn't just throw a bunch of presents under the tree and say, I hope somebody takes one. Now you have gifts with names, and that's exactly what we see here. God is speaking of a particular people with whom he is pleased, those among he is pleased, those on which his good pleasure or those his favor rests upon. And it is all of those from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language with which are united through faith in Jesus Christ. The angels rejoiced, but there's also an earthly response. See that in verses 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And shepherds, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. See, the angels are not the only ones who respond to this event. We see several different responses from a variety of different folks, from a variety of different viewpoints. You see the response of the shepherds, you see the response of others, and Mary. The news about Jesus, we see, is, is declared, but then is people are, it's making an impact. First of all, you see those who wondered. See that there in um, verse 17 and 18, after the shepherds make haste and go to Bethlehem, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. This is what we were told. And verse 18, and all who heard it around, those, those gathered around wondered or marveled at what had happened. They marveled at what the shepherds told them. They wondered. Now, this doesn't necessarily indicate that they responded in saving faith. They were simply amazed. They wondered, they were marveling. That doesn't equate that they now were part of the people of God just because they were amazed. It was more of a, uh, definitely a, this news had caused a stir, more of a surprise, right? If they were texting, it would have been the mind blown emoji. You know, wow, this sounds amazing. They just wondered. That, that didn't indicate true saving faith. Could have been some of them were now believing in the promises that God had given. We, we're not told that, we're just told they simply wondered. 
Friends, it's just a reminder to us that there will be some in responding to the good news of Jesus who marvel at the news of Jesus, but it doesn't necessarily move them to further faith and obedience in Jesus. They are admirers from afar, but not necessarily true followers. And friend, whether you come together, you come with us this morning and you look at this and you're like, you know, this is an amazing thing. I'm not, I'm not a Christian, but this is truly amazing. Maybe that's your story. And friends, it's, it's, it does you no eternal good to simply wonder or to be amazed and nothing further. Some wondered. The second response is that Mary treasured. We're told that she treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. Listen, she had yet to see all that this birth would bring, this, all that what would Jesus encounter. She, she had yet to see all of that unfold. And yet now, even with this baby in her hands, she was treasuring the reality of who he was. It caused her to ponder what all this meant. Encountering Jesus should lead us to do the same. It should, it should lead us to ponder and to treasure. She pondered and treasured the reality of who he was. And friends, this is just a great reminder to us this morning, a great example we have in Mary here, that this is exactly what Jesus should lead us to as well. Are you treasuring up all these things? You put all these promises that God had made in the Old Testament, you see now in the New Testament, they're starting to unfold and be, these promises are now being fulfilled one after the other. And does that lead you to treasure, to delight in, to make much of this Jesus? But then a third response is that the shepherds responded in worship. Mary treasured, some pondered, Mary treasured, but the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. They engaged in full worship of God because of what had been accomplished. For all that they had heard and seen as had been told to them. In verse 15, we're told once the angels left, the shepherds respond by going over to Bethlehem. And it's not like they just waited for, like, debated, like, hey, is this really true? Should we wait a week? No, they went with haste. Like, angel told them, boom, they're going to, to Bethlehem. They didn't waste time. And upon arrival, they find Mary, Joseph, and the baby, just as was told to them. Strange as this announcement may have seemed to them, they acted at once upon the news that they had been given. They believed the news, and they acted promptly. I think this is what true faith does in the believer, true faith, when you hear the promises of God and you respond in faith to those promises, that faith leads to action and obedience. When you encounter the good news of Jesus, this is news worth celebrating through our obedience. Friend, it's worth asking the questions of whether or not your response to this good news has mirrored that of the shepherds. I'm not saying has your response to the gospel led you to run over to Bethlehem and check it out but has it led you to respond? Is your life reflective of this good news and how you have responded to it? Does your response to Christmas lead you to make known the glories of the Savior as well? Friends, this is normal, everyday people. Maybe not just normal, these were kind of the outcast even. Totally transformed in a moment. Responding in faith and now obedience running to see the good news, and now re returning, glorifying and praising God. They're worshiping for all that they had seen and heard. They're giving God glory and giving God praise. 
Once they had encountered God's provision of grace, they could not help but worship. Friends, I just, I just ask you, Christians, let me speak to those who are followers of Jesus. Friend, when you realize the fullness of God's grace, the weight of his mercy upon your life that he would send his only son into the world to be the sin bearer for you. Your life in response to that should be indicative of something great that has transformed you. How you live, how you act, how you think, how you walk, and friends, how you worship Rejoicing. These were shepherds and they're singing. Friends, the response to God's grace is not this. It's praise, it's glory, it's worship. Because of what he has done, because of who he is, he didn't have to do this. And yet he did. He sent you his son to be your savior. Friends, just ask, you look at your life, look at your life. Is your life reflective of someone who's truly understood the grace of God? Is your life of obedience and your life of worship reflective of such? God, help us to respond with the wonder of praise and glory. And may he forgive us when we find our lives stale and complacent and uninterested and unimpacted by his goodness and his grace. Friends, good news, leads, good news leads you to action and it leads you to worship. Friends, this news on a starlit night in Bethlehem was not news that would have had its five minutes of fame and then moved on to the next headline. This was good news of a great joy that was indeed for all the people of that day, of the days before, to the days after. And it's not like most of the news we hear today that leads to little to no meaningful impact or action. This is good news of a great joy because God has sent forth his son, this savior who is Christ the Lord to give you hope and to give you life. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice this day in your favor. We thank you for how good you have been to us. We thank you for this glorious gift of your grace, the hope, the wonder of a savior given for sinners. Father, would you allow us this day, would you allow this message, this, this news of hope, this news that is good, Lord, would it indeed truly be news of a great joy in our lives? How would you help that be evident in our own souls, in our own actions, in our own worship of you, that we might love you, that we might walk with you faithfully, that we might worship you all our days? Father, help this news not be like other news that comes and goes, that doesn't impact us in any way, but Lord, would this news be the very news that is the foundation and hope of our lives. 
thank you for giving us this news in this person, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen.